Uh, classic comedy. We are recording. Oh no, already? This is our first episode. <laughs> oh boy. Yep, here we go. Alright. We can edit anything we want or leave all this junk in there just for fun. Yeah, I mean, look, junk is fun. Well, I mean, I guess it depends on the junk, right? Yeah. Some of it can be fun. There was a there was a place we used to go to in our teens and 20s uh, called Gray's Junk Farm near where I grew up. And it was literally exactly as it sounds. It was a junk farm. It was a farm filled to the brim with junk. I mean, everything. Like, electric organs, everything under the sun. It was, it was pretty much the happiest place on Earth for, you know, a 20-something nerd growing up in rural Illinois. <laughs> I grew up out in the sticks of uh, Oklahoma City, and uh, it was a place called uh, McLeod, but we were in the Oklahoma City uh, uh, limits, which was really weird. We were in uh, a whole different county than Oklahoma City, but Oklahoma City extended into our that county, and I was in a rural electrical grid. And I was in a rural city, uh, and the the school that I went to was 14 miles from my house. And I lived on a dirt road, which was Oklahoma City limits, out in the middle of nowhere. It was great. I could run around at night in the middle of middle of the night, and not see any police. Well, but one time we did. <laughs> I thought, what 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 is that guy doing here? Oklahoma hey, City Police. <laughs> yeah. What was funny was we used to me and my friend used to go to this uh, uh little store at like two in the morning and it was open twenty four hours so he didn't care. And my friend and I were wearing all black, you know, we're just badasses and hanging out on the street carrying stupid weapons of some kind or another and the cop hit his lights <laughs> we were like oh my god what am i doing out here <laughs> oh yeah we used to we used to do something similar um we gosh like uh, 20 miles east of st louis about where i grew up and there was i mean there there's there's a few towns around but Typically, heading a little further east, you know, five minutes, you're out on the country roads. Nothing but cornfields, few patches of trees. There was uh, one road in particular called Emerald Mound that we, we, for whatever reason, we were drawn to this road. And I think it's because there was never anybody out there so we could get away with, with just about anything. And we tried, too. And, you know, we, we never encountered any... Any law enforcement as such out there, um, but we did draw the ire of a few <laughs> locals. Uh, looking back, it was like, what, what the hell are we doing? I mean, we're just a bunch of kids in our 20s, not going to college, not doing anything interesting other than causing a bunch of trouble in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it's not even like we were doing it for, for uh, uh, attention, right? I mean, there's nobody around. <laughs> Yeah, and and it was uh. it was crazy because uh, my friend and I were hanging out at that store one night, and like 
five girls showed up in this Camaro that they had Ooh. quietly pulled out. You know, they, they pushed the car out of the driveway and then pushed it a little down the road before they started it up so their parents wouldn't know that they were gone. It was two in the morning. And they drove up to that little store where me and my friend were hanging out. And uh, they said, hey, what are you guys doing here? And all that came to mind was, waiting for you. And my <laughs> friend hit me in the ribs like, good one, boy, good one. I was like, smooth. Hmm, maybe this is a good uh, uh, area to go into, <laughs> being yeah. slick. I didn't know oh. how to be slick with girls, though. <laughs> I was terrible at oh, it. Oh, yeah. But that was my I first foray into, hey, maybe I can talk to chicks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, I was, you know, smooth like a dumb truck in a lot of ways. Um, definitely, definitely a lot more, uh, what's the word, <laughs> charismatic after transitioning, mm -hmm. right, than before. In, in, before I transitioned in my late 20s, I was your typical, like, angsty teen, Except it carried through most of my 20s. I know right? what you and... mean. That was terrible. <laughs> like, what are you mad about? I don't know, but come on. Somebody fight me. Why right. Would you, why and would you want to fight? When you <laughs> try to explain yourself, you, it, it's it's next to damn near impossible to actually form like a cogent argument or sentence. And like, like, you just don't understand me. Like, well, yeah, I don't understand you because you're not making any sense. Yeah. And, and yeah, okay, you know, you're, you're a grown man and you're, 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 uh, you may be married to a woman who just doesn't get it that you went through Marine Corps training, which was uh, interesting brainwashing. I liked it. And uh, <laughs> it uh, kind of formed your opinion about how the world is supposed to work. And mm. uh, whenever you get out of the Marines, that's completely not true. Not right. even close. Uh Five years, hey, we're going to train you to do this awesome job, and whenever you get out, it's going to make you a lot of money. Guess what? You didn't get all the training you needed to make that job work. Duh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Then what was supposed to happen? Oh, you were supposed to continue your education in it so that you could get that job. Okay. But nobody said anything about that. Hey, whenever you get out, you're going to be... Uh, Able to, uh, you know, walk into almost any place and get a job. Well, that's true. But it's only because I'm really good looking and have blue eyes. <laughs> Duh, yeah, yeah. Just get all arrogant about yourself, mister. Hey, <laughs> what are you looking at here? <laughs> yeah. See, I had, I had kind of a different experience when I was in boot camp. I was, granted, I was only in for, for about six to seven weeks. Mm -hmm. And I spent, I spent like... So, okay, I joined when I was 18, fresh out of high school, because I figured, you know, at some point it's going to either make a man of me or it's going to, you know, make everything go away in the sense that, like I said, it would make a man of me or it would kill me. Yeah. But, you know, looking back, obviously, totally wrong reason to join. And that's that's a tangent in and of itself. But I, you know, I I think looking back, I got along fine in boot camp other than this nagging feeling like I just didn't belong there. Right. And that's what it's meant for. It's meant to like weed out the people that aren't supposed to be there Yeah, and as I was one of them. The thing that struck me though is like, okay, so 
when I was on my way out, I was in a separation platoon for mm -hmm. almost as long as I was actually in boot camp for. I mean, mm -hmm. I was I was in the separation platoon long enough to read The Hobbit and The Cimmerillion. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, you know, and those those aren't short books. Yeah. Tolkien is, uh, he could be a bit wordy, right? Um, yeah, and like, I don't know. Looking back, that was kind of one of those points points in life where it's, yeah, you, you made a bad decision, but you're actually kind of better for it. Yeah. Right? What was uh, some of the weird stories that I can get into? There was this one guy, he, he I swear he was retarded, and somehow he made it into our boot camp platoon, and he, uh, we were at the firing range doing live fire drills, and uh, it was uh, San Onofre, and we were, you know, doing like full uh, or burst fire because M16s weren't fully automatic; they were just you know three three round burst. Mm -hmm. And somehow his weapon jammed while he was lying on the on the the ground. And the senior drill instructor walked by, and he he stood up, and he pointed it at him. He pointed this M16 right at the senior drill instructor. <gasps> and he says, my oh. gun's jammed. I swear to God. No. <laughs> Those Marines were crazy, because they will deal with this immediately. And <laughs> Yeah. And... And it's like the drill instructors <laughs> and officers, they seem to just come, like, sprout out of the ground like weeds when something like that happens. Oh, yeah, but this guy was standing right there with a gun pointed right at him, at his chest, and he snatched it out of this man's hand. And then he butt-stroked him in, in the face with his own weapon. And then he ordered everybody off the firing line, and we all went to the dirt. <laughs> Just knocked him out and pissed off the senior, and we w we all had to go to the dirt immediately just to just to you know take that rage and push it into the ground for him. You know, <laughs> right. we were doing push-ups for thirty minutes. I swear, we we oh, had, it was terrible. Had, yeah, something not quite that bad, but sort of similar experience. We had a, a gentleman in our platoon during the the. Uh, the CCX course, he stood up and just turned to face a senior drill instructor and, you know, in no uncertain terms, told him where he could stick it and said, no, I'm not doing this anymore. Apparently the guy had had enough, right? Yeah. And that's, that thing, that happens. And that's, that's sort of one of the purposes of boot camp, as I said earlier. But the thing that I remember the most about that is I don't recall seeing any other real you know you know large number of drill instructors or officers anywhere nearby at all like like it was the platoon we had our drill instructors and the senior was out there as soon as this guy stood up and told senior the senior drill instructor to get bent i swear you could not see the guy anymore. He was surrounded <laughs> by just an unholy amount of drill instructors and just just officers. And I swear they sprouted out of the ground like they were just waiting underground, waiting for this to happen. <laughs> like they had some sixth sense that, that okay, someone's going to crack here and we need to be ready. Yeah. And well, it happened. And then they just appeared like, 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 
I, I kid you not, like they were transported in, you know, Scotty, beam us down. It's time to go. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you couldn't see. All you could hear was this like intense roaring of all the screaming directed at this one guy. And, you know, from there, like it, <laughs> life was a bit different, right? Because yeah. now we had, uh, we were labeled sort of as a challenging platoon. Uh-oh. And that, and so like everybody was like gunning for us, and 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 then oh my goodness, yeah, we we just couldn't get any breaks because you know shortly after that, a guy ended up stealing some crackers from the mess hall, <laughs> and he hit him in his footlocker. Uh oh. Like okay, first of all, you know that they're going to inspect. Like they do this. They inspect. Haven't you ever seen like Full Metal Jacket? Yeah. Or, really. or <laughs> any movie? Like. You know they're going to look into these things and they're going to see what you because they know you're going to take something so they're looking for it they know it because they see it it happens all the time and this poor this poor guy like he he they ended up having to like move move him to another platoon because he was just ridiculed and tormented and yeah it was it was not good it was not good at all and and the part that really killed me is he, he was on the bunk below me. Uh oh. So we were bunk mates and I'm like standing there like, it wasn't me. I didn't do it. No, don't look at me. It's my I just fault. wanted to melt <laughs> into the woodwork. Yeah. Like, nope, I'm not here. I don't exist. You just want to become the new wax on the floor, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like like I will I will shine as wax. I'll be the best damn wax. Just leave me alone. Private, why didn't you get those crackers out of that box? I didn't know they were there. <laughs> Help! Somebody stop this guy! He's gonna kill me! No, seriously, like that's. Oh my goodness! Looking back, I can laugh about it now, but while I was there, it was, it was terrifying. Scary. Oh my goodness, guests! Because our our senior drill instructor was uh, uh, Staff Sergeant Radman, mm -hmm. if I'm recalling his name correctly. I swear, like. Every time I think back on that time, he grows another like six inches tall. Yeah. By, by now, he's like nine and a half feet tall, like 800 pounds of raw muscle. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, my God. We had the Hulk. <laughs> yeah, basically, like like the Hulk. It was terrifying. It was so terrifying. We they had... towered over all the other drill instructors, and it was you did not want to. Did not want to get on his bad side. <laughs> <laughs> So how did they find out that you needed to go into a different outsourcing platoon to, to run you out? That that was my question, because I went all the way through, and there was only a few people who made it out of boot camp before. And one, one of them, and I'll tell you this guy, he was a badass, because uh, we were doing pull-ups one day in the early, you know, like first phase. They were trying to get us all ready to, you know, go into the physical stuff. And so we were doing pull-ups as a, an, an initial PFT. And this guy, he, uh, they, they showed us how to do that kip method where you kick yourself up for one more pull-up. Mm -hmm. And when he went up for the, like, 15th one, his left hand slipped off the bar and he came down and he still had his grip on his right hand. So it tore his shoulder out of socket. <gasps> Oh, oh, and no. 
immediately, like you said, they just swarmed like bees. They're, they were there. Boom. He was there. And they were all like, turn around, turn around, get your ass over there and turn around. Do not look over here. And we all just, you know, kind of turned around for them to have some privacy. They carted him off in an ambulance. And while I was going through third phase, which is, you know, if you don't know the Marines, third phase is whenever you are getting ready to get out. You've got your dress blues. You've got all of all of the stuff. And I was on my liberty for, you know, the end phase of going to getting out and going into the fleet. And I saw him and I said, hey, man, how's it been? He said, man, these people are driving me crazy. I was like, what's what's wrong? Well, I'm in the medical rehabilitation platoon, and they want to retire me. And I'm like, what, what? Yeah, they can't fix my shoulder. They said that I can't be a Marine, but they want to retire me at E7 pay. Now, this guy's, you know, 19, 20 years old, but he kept fighting them. He said he was going to fight him to, to stay in and get himself to be a Marine because every one of his ancestors was a Marine since the Marine Corps started. I'm like, dude, <laughs> that is full on badass. Everybody in your family was a Marine. Yeah, and I'm going to be a Marine too. You already are one, man. You already win. <laughs> and they're going to give yeah. you E7 pay for the rest of your life. Dude. Take it. Take, take it. it. I, yeah, I would have taken it. I but think A7 at the time was like three grand a month. Yeah. And no they joke. were going to retire him at full pay forever. <laughs> and he no was joke. fighting them over it. I thought, dude, you're a Marine. I want you at my side if we're going to a combat. Right. Yeah, no joke. But that's that's the thing, though, is, is there, you know, the... The Marines, and I, I don't know that any other branch is really like this, but the Marines, a.k.a. motivators or uh, leathernecks, whatever. Devil dogs. Um, <laughs> devil dogs, whatever moniker you, you prefer, but um, they are so gung-ho about the Marine Corps. Mm -hmm. And that's what I love about them. Yeah. Is that dedication, that, that, uh, that drive to, to be this, this thing. And, you know, looking back, like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't make it all the way through. I, I kind of wish I did because that's, that's an achievement. My, my brother, he's a Marine mm -hmm. and that, and, you know, there's just, uh, there's just something, I don't know. There's, there's almost like, at least in my mind, like a, a mystique, you know, say what you will about the military, but most people won't, won't mess with the Marines. Yeah. And that, and. And it's just, it's, it's like a, a, an enduring badge of honor. Yeah. Like, and I, I always hear about all these guys who say, yeah, I went to special forces and all this crap. And it's like, you know, that was built into the Marine Corps training, right? Yeah. That's basically <laughs> the Marine Corps. Like, the Marines oh. are the special forces for the Navy. We take land mm -hmm. that they can't get off their boat and take, and you have to do it from the beach. The Marines are like... Uh, the special force of the the Navy, if you need to go take an island or you need to find a beachhead so that the army can invade, you send those guys. You send, yeah. you send maniacs <laughs> who, 
who have been trained to shoot you at 500 yards with, you know, one shot, one kill. That's everybody in the Marines. Everybody. There are no... Right. That the Marines is, like, as they always say, a Marine is a rifleman first. And then, uh, you know, you got your job, too. But every Marine qualifies every year for his rifle right. badge. And it, yeah. it, it was... Uh, it's something for me to be proud of and something for me to go, man, what was that doing? Because <laughs> I'm a lazy person. You know, it took me almost a year to start doing this podcast and I finally found somebody to do it with. And there are a million cool questions that I can ask you. You know, and, and the Marine Corps thing is like that central, you know, where we meet in the middle and, and we can talk. And so, you know, I have a million questions about your tranitude. <laughs> you know? So just for the listeners, that is something that I coined. Um, <laughs> yeah, I found it's, that out. I thought, oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's something I use because, like, like, uh, God, I don't, I don't even know how to explain it, but it's such a frustrating thing. And it's probably worth an almost an episode in and of itself just to kind of discuss and go into detail of what it's like and how it feels. And mm. so we could explore that down the road. But if I had to sum it up in one word, I think it might be tranitude. And and, you know, I, I, I say that with full knowledge of, you know, with full knowledge and understanding that that there are. uh <laughs> Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh gosh, we can cut this part out. My my brain just stopped for a second. Oh, don't worry. <laughs> there are probably factions among you know LGBTQ and all that uh, who want to say you shouldn't be talking about this, or yeah, yeah, exactly. And but the thing is, the thing the thing is, and and this is what I would say to them is, I use it to describe myself and myself only. Yeah, right. I. I will say things and I will use them in a way that is meant solely for me, right? Because I don't, I don't presume to ever speak for any community uh, as a whole. Um, and even, even with, um, even with our, our gaming community, 13th Iron Maidens, you know, I, I don't speak for that community as a whole. We, we will oftentimes discuss things, right, and come to a, a mutual consensus, at least among the leadership. But, you know, and 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 I just want to I just want to say before, like, if you if you hear me saying something, uh, using a term that you might take as derogatory, just do so. You know, consider that I'm using it to describe myself and myself only, and I will never never use it to describe anyone else. And that being said, like, I take kind of a a, a, <laughs> an, an interesting approach i think towards things like that because like i don't care really what somebody calls me with the understanding that if you say it to me in a manner which is meant to cause harm then i will take exception to it yeah right but you know i i I don't know where, where I'm really going with this. So this is <laughs> in the show. We we will tend to go off on tangents and um, off on digressions, right? The yeah. not so subtle art of digression. <laughs> um, but in any case, but when um, I digress, 
Yeah, but I digress. So that being said, um, you had, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong here, asked me um, what it was like being transferred to that uh, that medical platoon. Yeah. Right. Or what had happened what, to, to what, get me what there. What was it that, that triggered that? And what was it that uh, kind of helped you um, bring your mind into where you're at now? <laughs> like, so, there's a long explanation. You're asking me right, a lot there, buddy. Yeah. Come on. So, I, I mean, the short answer is time. Mm-hmm. Um, time brought me to where I'm at now. The, the more long and, and slightly more complicated answer is... So when I was, when I was in boot camp, I had, we had just made it to uh, the second phase, and it was shortly before going to the, uh, the rifle range for the first time out at Camp Pendleton. Yeah. And uh, it, it was maybe like a week before our platoon was slated to go, I started feeling, you know, extremely uneasy and uncomfortable. In the sense that, like, I, I, I knew at that time I didn't belong, mm-hmm. right? It, it wasn't, it wasn't for me, um, and that it was, as I said earlier. I, so, as I said earlier, I, I joined with the intent that it would, or the hope rather, that it would either make a man out of me or it would kill me, right? And yeah. and fair warning to listeners, this this might get a little dark. Um, <laughs> so, if you're if you're uneasy, just know that I, I gave you warning. <laughs> and we are here to put a light on all the darkness. So that's why you're listening. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, like I was at that point shortly before going to the rifle range, fairly well decided that, well, that would be the easiest place for me to just turn the gun on myself oh, ooh. and and just end it, right? Because yeah. I was extremely desperate before I had joined the Marine Corps and, you know, spending six weeks in there, I was even more so, mm-hmm. right? So something something stopped me and actually made me mention that to another recruit. And I, I looking back, I cannot thank this other recruit enough for actually going to the senior drill instructor and mentioning this what I had said to them. Mm-hmm. And it was that night after lights out, one of the drill instructors came to me in the bunk and, you know, you know, private Miller, get up, come with me, <laughs> you know? And, and so I, I was groggy and, and, you know, got up and, and followed him into the uh, drill instructor's office. And Ed, and and I couldn't believe my eyes. Like there were game consoles everywhere, and just like soda. Like man, these guys are living like kings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the rest of us are out here. Like, oh my goodness. They got to oh. keep up the energy that they sap out of you. Right. Yeah. Um, in any case, so I went. I went in, and uh, senior drill instructor Radman was there, and, and he sat me down, and and when we talked. And he tried to understand what was what was going on, what I was feeling, you know, because they, they take that sort of thing extremely seriously. And they're like vultures. They will jump right on it. Yeah, and they did. It, it was the same night. They, they jumped on it in an instant. But knowing how I was feeling 
And, you know, the pressure that I was feeling, they did it in a way that didn't single me out in front of everybody because that probably would have made me feel even worse. Yeah, to their credit, they know how to do that yeah. immediately and with, with, with a swiftness that lets everybody, everybody else is just like, you're gone in mm -hmm. a whirlwind. And they're like, hey, what happened to that guy? Ooh, uh, um, yeah. And then the rumors float around and, you know. It, it it just kind of it fades out because you've got to run the next day for five miles and uh, you got to sing all this stuff and you that guy fades from your memory. Like I forgot all about the guy who hurt himself in in the first training, and uh, then I saw him later and it was like wow, dude. So anyway, <laughs> yeah. So so we we talked and and then I, I realized like holy cow, these these guys they are human. You know, and we we had a good conversation, and and he decided that um, it probably was best that I go see the uh, you know go see a doctor, and so they they had me pack a bag quietly and just marched me out of the barrack mm -hmm. into a waiting car, took me down to the hospital, and we I sat and went under a psych eval, and they immediately decided that yeah. Uh, this person is not, they shouldn't be here. And so I was immediately transferred to a, um, I guess you'd call it like a, a transition platoon. Mm -hmm. um, I think it, 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 <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't like the, the, the MRP, the medical rehab platoon or the PCP, the, the physical conditioning platoon. Yeah. Um, and that it was it was something like sort of in between where they're not quite certain where they're going to put you. You yeah. haven't made it to the discharge platoon yet. And and that and so I spent a few days there, I guess, while paperwork was getting ready, while they they were doing whatever <laughs> the bureaucracies do. It's called processing. And, <laughs> and so like, you know, I volunteered in a warehouse on base outside of the mess hall and and all this stuff and just did stuff to busy the day and then I was transferred to the discharge platoon and I spent gosh probably three weeks there just waiting waiting and waiting and waiting and like we would go to the mess hall but we would go like after everyone else and you know to kind of keep us a little bit separated it was really interesting look at least looking back it wasn't terribly interesting at the time I was sort of in limbo didn't know where I was going, what the hell was going to happen. Like, am I in trouble? Uh, you know, what what's happened? Because they don't really tell you much other than you're being discharged. They don't say really when or how you're getting home. And, you know, with the exception of they, the, the, the individual in charge of this platoon was, was always giving us a hard time saying like, yeah, we're going to pop you on a bus and, you know, it's going to be about a two week drive back to, uh, back to St. Louis. <laughs> I'm like, oh, wait Who a second. hired this dickhead? <laughs> I, I, shit, I've got enough in my account just from the few weeks of being there. I could I buy a plane ticket. Just let me buy a plane ticket. Yeah. I want to get home and get on with life. Annette. Um, the hardest part is the fact that you're right next to the airport. Yeah. And those like, planes are taking off right every 20 minutes and you're like, eh, there goes another one. Yeah, well, they, they did end up flying me home. I did end up flying home and that, but something, 
something sort of happened there that kind of did have, at least looking back, much more of an impact on my life afterwards mm -hmm. than I realized at the time. And that was while I was in the platoon, my, so as I mentioned earlier, my brother is a Marine. He was in the, he was in the, out in the fleet at the time I was in boot camp, and he was stationed um, at 29 Palms. Yeah. Which, you know, if anybody knows anything about 29 Palms, is that nobody knows where it's at. Like, where the hell is 29 Palms? Yeah. You, you, I've never, I've never seen it. <laughs> I've never yeah. seen it. Yeah. And then you go there and you find out there's actually like 31 Palms or something stupid. <laughs> they <laughs> added two. They lied to me. Come yeah. on, people. Uh, those trees making fools of us all. Can't they just leave me alone? <laughs> oh. <laughs> they, oh, they God. probably decorate the whole place with, you know, Christmas lights every every winter. And it's like, uh, hey, you know, this is a desert, right? Yeah, like, I don't know, something about Christmas lights on a palm tree just doesn't sit right. It just <laughs> feels, feels weird, but although it is different enough, I could see the appeal. Or, or, you know, those, those little red and green blue balls all over it. Like, oh, come yeah. on now. <laughs> like, Who are you trying to kid? We, oh, we know how Where's... this is supposed to go. <laughs> that thing's 30 oh, feet tall. How am I going to get that down? Right. I think it qualifies as a uh, as a digression. So <laughs> let me just say it. I digress. Getting back to the story here. Um, anyway, my brother was stationed at Twenty Nine Palms, and he talked to his lieutenant at the time. And his lieutenant drove him to the MCRD and you know the the recruit depot in San Diego. And my brother actually came to see me. And I should say before this time. We weren't close, really. We didn't talk much. We didn't get along. I mean, we fought like, like fist fights, fist fights. Like you wouldn't believe more so than like, I guess, normal siblings, because at one point he threw me through the wall into my sister's bedroom. Wow. Like, like just broke the drywall. And the other time, you know, another time I put his head through the bedroom window. Like, are you fought. older or, or younger than him? I'm I'm younger, so I'm I'm two years younger, um, and nowhere near as strong. Hmm. Especially after the hormones. Yeah. But that's another story. In any case, he came and visited me while I was in the discharge platoon, and as soon as I saw him walk through, because I had, I I had talked to him on the phone, and he tried to convince me like. You know, the, the, the boot camp isn't anything like it is in the fleet. You know, you'll you'll love it in the fleet. It's it's great, and that and uh, and that and he came to see me after that conversation. And when he walked through the door into the barrack where I was just sitting there reading reading some Tolkien, uh, I I instantaneously just fell apart just broke down and I cried harder than I think I ever have. And that was sort of like a looking back, that was kind of a moment where I, I realized that I, I have to accept certain truths about myself. And one of those was that I'm not that 
everybody thinks I am. Kind of like like uh, uh, the song Rocket Man, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not the man they think I am. I, I wasn't, right? And But I was wearing this sort of this costume, Halloween costume, so to speak, for many, many years. And that was the first time that I had started to actually take that costume off. Yeah. Now, it would it would be put back on, uh, you know, for some time after boot camp because it it's not easy to, I'll say, accept things that we don't understand about ourselves. And at the time, I didn't understand what the hell really anything meant and why I was feeling the way I was feeling. And that. So it wasn't until much later in my 20s, um, in fact, it was... 10 years later, because I was 18 at that time. So when I was 28, that's when I actually started to really fully come out to the person I am today. Mm-hmm. And, that, and so like everything in between, I think it everything after boot camp, boot camp experience and the time when I, I started my transition helped me to become the person I am today, even the bad decisions right because i think at the end of the day we we are and this is something my father used to always say well he still says it um (laughs) he just says it out in wyoming instead of st louis yeah thank god um right yeah so he uh he would always tell us that you are you are the sum total of the decisions you make right good and the bad yeah and i made my share of poor decisions i made my share of okay decisions the only great decision I think I ever really made up to that point was actually deciding to transition because afterwards I was able to use all of those experiences, positive and negative and put them to work for myself and really sort of identify, you know, identifying uh, my identity as it, as it, <laughs> as it was, so to speak. And then using that as well to kind of build that identity. Cause hmm. if you think about it, when, when you, start that transition, you're really becoming a new person. A lot of people like to think, at least this was my experience, and as I said earlier, I don't want to speak for the community as a whole, but for me it was, I was becoming a new person, and we always say that like, you know, you're you're the same person, you're just a different gender. Now that's true to a degree, but not in every sense of the term, right? I mean, I am a completely different person actually than I was before. Before I was an absolute shit. I was a I was a terrible human being. Um I I had this sort of hatred for the LGBT community at the time. Mm-hmm. And I think it was because of jealousy. I think hmm. I think it really boiled down to jealousy because they had something that I didn't. They were out for the most part and and being true to themselves and i wasn't i was still hiding did you know that you should be out i mean (sighs) when when you looked in a mirror did the guy in the in the mirror look at you and go you know what you're a fake well he didn't so much say that Mm -hmm. because it's really interesting when i looked in a mirror before transition i didn't see myself okay and it wasn't me looking back it was somebody else I was just trapped inside. Hmm. Right? And like when you do a thing, it's it's almost for some the the 
I guess the dysphoria or the disassociation is so strong that it's almost like you're just going along for the ride. You're not actually in control. I know and exactly what you mean. It actually felt that way for me. But by and large, like, I wouldn't say that I felt that way all the time. It was more like, it's just not me staring back. It's somebody else that I'm controlling. Like an imposter syndrome? Yeah. Yeah. Look, well, well, like, kind of like, yeah, you, you could, you could say I was more or less an imposter in my own skin because mm -hmm. the skin didn't fit. Like it, it didn't fit. And it still doesn't, but I'm, I'm working on that. January, my trans, my transformation will be complete. I will reach my final form. Finally. <laughs> All right. You are a, a chrysalis who has moved into a pupa stage and your wings will be popping out whenever your webs come off. <laughs> and they're going to be fabulous wings. It'll be great. <laughs> oh, gosh. You know, I kind of identify with all of that because, uh, you know, when I was three or four, my sister was at the hospital. I remember this very vividly because she hadn't been born yet. She was in the process of being born. Let me go ahead and say that. My mom was having a baby. So I was staying at my, my grandparents' house while she did so. And uh, I was outside playing in the dirt on the ground with my, you know, Hot Wheels or Matchbox or whatever they are. And some kid walks up to me. And he looks down and says, hey, boy, you want a piece of candy? He can't be more than 11 or 12. And I said, candy? I like candy. I'm four years old. I love candy. And he says, Great. Open your mouth and close your eyes and you will get a big surprise. Oh, no. So I'm on my knees. I'm in a perfect spot already. I open my mouth. I close my eyes. Suddenly I feel his belly button against my nose and his penis is in my mouth. Oh, no. And I open my eyes. There's his gut in my face. His balls are on my chin and oh my god I kind of like you ever seen Bugs Bunny where his ears just kind of explode with that that flame and all that steam coming out that was me about this situation and my aunt runs outside she goes what are you boys doing and they took off I could feel his his, his pecker come out of my mouth like and he ran off yelling and, and laughing, and the other kid that was with him was just laughing his head off. And I'm standing here, or on my knees on the ground with my cards in my hand going, what the hell was that? And after I kind of hid that memory from myself, uh, I, I hated gayness. Because to me, gayness was the dirty trick that one boy will play on another. And that, that's how it played out in my head. And, you know, I've described myself to you before, but for the listeners, I'm a six-foot-tall man, and growing up, I got pretty big pretty quick. When I was five, I remember my brother and two other kids tackling me to the ground, and I put my feet up underneath me and and they're all three on my back, and I stood up and just threw them off. Now, that's maybe 150 pounds worth of kids on my back, and I threw them like they were children. 
like I was an adult. I'm five. I've been tackled to the ground and I stood up with three kids on my back and just ran off. Uh, another another moment that, that I remember was in the eighth grade, I was playing uh, PE when we were playing tag football. And there was this young young guy in the eighth grade with me. And he was lined up on the other side and I was on the defense. And there was the quarterback over here and the kid in front of me looks at me and goes, you're never getting past me. I said, yeah, I will. He said, no, you won't. So whenever they hiked the ball, I put my shoulder down where it, whenever he crashed into me. So he went over my shoulder and I picked him up. And then I ran and tackled the quarterback with him on my shoulder. And from that point on, the football coach who was giving us the PE class hated my guts because I wouldn't join his football team. <laughs> he hated me. I got swats like three times from this dude just for, you know, screwing off. And it was like, what are you mad about? And then I looked back at that moment 10 years later and I was like, oh, that's what he was mad about. Because <laughs> I was, I was, you know, I got transferred at that point because I was in the band and uh, I played the coronet and then they asked me if I wanted to play the baritone. And if I played the baritone, I could be in the high school band because they didn't have enough members. And so, you know, high school band was always at the, P the same time that that PE class was going on. So I got transferred out of that PE class and into the high school band, which was kind of two classes at once. It was a PE and the uh, music class. And so... I changed to the, you know, marching baritone, and uh, I never heard from that coach again. And then a couple of years later, there were, you know, guys who were on our football team, which couldn't win a game for anything. Um, they looked at me and said, how come you don't play with us? And I said, uh, I don't play football. The real problem was, in my head, I'd have to be naked in the shower with other dudes. And I did mm. not want that. Now, right. fast forward to boot camp. You remember that moment when they took all your clothes? <laughs> you remember that? Yes. And then, what happened? You stood uh, in line for your for your clothes that you were going to get. Mm-hmm. Now, this is during the Bush era, and so they didn't have "Don't ask, don't tell" yet. And so what they did was they put you with your belly against the man's back in front of you. And then they sta stood there and yelled, If you start to feel yourself get an erection, step out of line! Now, we're talking full homophobia Lord. at this moment. And my brain is just spinning. My ears are blasting with that steam coming out of it. And the guy behind me steps out of line. Uh, <laughs> and then another guy stepped up against my back. Oh, my God! Help me! Help me! Where am I at? What yeah. am I doing here? Stop what it! have I done? Ah, my brain is broken. Holy right. crap. So, you know, a couple of weeks later... I found the perfect way to get out of boot camp, but I didn't do it because I didn't think about it because I'm always kind of clueless anyway. 
we went to the hearing test, I guess a couple of days after that. And one of the guys didn't hit the button. He just refused to hit the button. They put him on a plane, sent him home. I was like, you're kidding me. It was that easy? Yeah. You're kidding me. (laughs) (laughs) And here I am going through this, this training with all these strangers and... My one of my best friends got to be, you know, this this big black man from Louisiana named Fontenot. And he was like six foot two and probably weighed a hundred and ninety-five, maybe maybe two hundred and fifteen pounds. Uh, he, he was like the Mike Tyson style guy, only a little bit bigger. And one time I got busted for crackers. <laughs> Oh no! You were you were that guy. I was that guy, and I put them in my oh, pocket, no. my cargo pocket, and then you know, like they they have these those those times when you have to go, you know, do push-ups and pull-ups for the the oh. drill instructor because you're in trouble with him. You owe me, private. Get up here. They were in my pocket. And then he oh, says, no. push-ups, 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 push-ups. I'm pretty good at push-ups. Leg lifts. Uh oh. He knew they were in there. He knew it. <laughs> well, there's, you know, five or six guys hanging around doing push-ups, you know, and we're all doing leg lifts now, and suddenly the crackers fall out of my pocket and hit the yep. deck. That's why they have you do them. Like, I swear it's all yeah. planned. And my like, brain went, oh, my God, the crackers are on the ground next to me, and it was like, stop. Private, what the hell is that? I don't know, sir. Get the hell out of here! Five other dudes just split, and I'm all by myself up there on the on the hard deck going, okay, this may be the dumbest thing that I've done in the last 20 minutes. <laughs> so, Wait, there's more to come. <laughs> yeah, this is going to get worse. I know it. So <laughs> um, I'm sitting there, and my legs are up in the air, and these crackers hit the ground, and they split. They, they, they run off everybody else. They're excused. They, they don't owe the drill instructor anything now. Because yeah, I have just taken all of it as if I were Christ. <laughs> this is oh. all mine now. <laughs> I owe everything that y'all owed. All of your problems are now mine. <laughs> so I spent the next... even the ones they haven't thought of yet. Yeah, yeah. If anybody else gets in trouble, we're going to blame that guy. Yep. All right, dummy. You're, you're the guy. <laughs> And then oh after God. about an hour, they uh, they let me go after he already smashed the crackers up and put, poured them all over my head. And there were four drill instructors on duty that night for some reason, and they all came out there and, and, and did what they call bending, which is bend the shit out of you. Mm-hmm. And they uh, then they let me go, and then one of them walks up to me and goes, you know, private, your ass is mine tomorrow. And I went, oh, no. <laughs> What's this? <laughs> what is this? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, So no. I got back to my bunk after I took a shower. And, you know, his lights out and Fontenot's up there on his bunk. He's on the top bunk, same as me. And I look over and he goes, hey, Burke, everything's going to be okay. And then he takes a bite of his apple. <laughs> so the next day 
So the next day, this drill instructor that called me out looks at me and goes, all right, buddy, it's your turn. And so, you know, all that night, Fontenot was kind of watching to make sure they didn't give me a blanket party. Uh And then uh, the next day, this drill instructor walks up to me and he says, all right, I'm going to give you the commands. You're going to call them out. Everybody in the dirt, now! Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, Uh no, it's my turn to be the drill instructor. (laughs) I don't want to be here. (laughs) And this guy, I I swear to God, my voice was very strong that day, and he says, leg lifts. Leg lifts! Up, down, six inches, 90, six inches! 90! Yep. <laughs> Spread them! Feet together! Spread them! Feet together! Push-ups! Run in place! Push-ups! Run in place! Oh, man. I stood here at attention yelling at these poor recruits for 30 minutes. They're throwing dirt on themselves and doing whatever I tell them to because the, the drill instructor, his voice is, his voice is feeling cracked. This is what he told me. You know, Private, my voice is just almost gone today, so you're going to be the guy. I'm like, oh, God. Everybody hated me after that. I was persona non grata. I swear, it was mm. terrible. And, yeah. you know, it kind of, it kind of, it kind of brought this feeling of daggers of, of racism from all the guys who weren't white guys on the, on the platoon. And I, this is the first time I've ever felt that because, you know, we were all supposed to be, you know, the same green color. Yeah. And uh, no, buddy, <laughs> you done screwed up. You and your freaking crackers. <laughs> you bet me. You, oh, you, dude, you did it. That's that's the thing is the, I swear they put those crackers there in the mess hall or you know and they give you they give you cargo pockets because they know mm-hmm. they know someone is going to take them and, like Which every platoon has at least one do this and if you can yeah. get an apple past all of that and get it up to your bunk and eat it while you're in bed how more how power you... to yeah well remember uh, he's 6 feet tall a door uh, 6 foot 2 and a door filling man like just Way bigger than most everybody in this, in this platoon. And they would bend him for hours. It was like, hey, I'll bet you my recruit can do, do more push-ups than your recruit. Guess who they'd come and get? Fontenot. I love Fontenot. He was a badass. But one time, we were, we were at, you know, one of, I think it was third phase, and we were, we were doing that combat training where they, they have you throw a guy over your shoulder and carry you and mm-hmm. him and all of his stuff. Yep. Guess who I got to carry? Fontenot. Yeah. I think that they knew <laughs> that maybe I'm the only guy there that can do this. Yeah. And I, I ran down there 100 yards and picked, picked up Fontenot in a fireman's carry and carried him back. And I'll tell you, that was a very tiring moment. But it reminded me of that football moment. I was like, oh, this ain't as bad as everybody thinks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you now know, I know why I, that coach hated me. Yeah. 
<laughs> now I oh, get it. Gosh. You know, I played the tuba in high school after after I graduated from the baritone to the to the marching tuba, which is not the one that wraps around your body. Mm-hmm. It's this horn that you can sit in your lap and, and do it this way, but whenever you turn it on its end and you set it up on your shoulder, now the bell is facing away from you, in front of you, and it's it's just blasting at whoever. And, <laughs> Whoever's you know, in front of you. Yeah, it's, it's like a huge sound cannon. And yeah. that was my instrument for four years. And... Um, it was funny because I think that the the band director thought that maybe I'm the only guy who could use that instrument in a proper manner, but the whole problem was he never taught me how to read the music. <laughs> oh, God. So you're just up there. I just imagine you just blowing, like, just whatever note feels good at the time. Well, the the problem was from an early age, I've had not perfect pitch, but I can read, mm-hmm. I can hear music as if it's being read to me. Yeah. And as, you know, if you're in one key, I can match it. I can find the note and be there. I didn't know this instrument from anything at first, so I'm making up my own little riffs. And the band director didn't say anything because it was on pitch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> See, I... I would have been up there blown into the wrong end. Yeah, A like, flat, what is G, G sharp. Is that the same note? Wait, wait a minute. I don't know how to read bass clef. So uh. <laughs> it was, it was a lot of fun. And the reason, my reasoning for being in the band was that's where all the girls are. Right. And you know, whenever you're whenever you're on a band, uh, a bus with a bunch of girls, there's shenanigans going on. The only problem was, uh, uh, girls didn't like me. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> so I'm in well, here for the wrong reason. I should have been on that football team, you know. I should have been there <laughs> to guard the poor quarterback who's about to get his nuts stomped by some <laughs> maniac who, you know, outweighs him by a ton. Because right. we, we didn't have the biggest guys on our football team, but. If I had been on the football team, maybe we won a, would have won a game. But I was just, you know, band nerd. I was up in the stands going, yeah, we're going to lose again. <laughs> oh, no. And the football players are standing there in their, in their shoulder pads, and they're looking all big. And I'm as big as they are in their shoulder pads <laughs> with my horn. <laughs> they're like, hey, how come you're not down here with us? I don't want to do that. That looks like it hurts. Turns yeah. out, turns out, I don't have a very, I have a very, very high threshold for pain. I didn't know that either. I don't, I didn't, I didn't even know that I'm bigger and stronger than most people. Until one day, about ten years ago, I was going to the store with a couple of my friends at my job, and we walked into the uh the store and it had glass doors you know and the sun was hitting us just the right way to where it would reflect off of all of us and they're in front of me and i'm behind them and if i'd have been in front of them you wouldn't have been able to see either one of these guys and it shocked me because i looked at 
at their reflection, and then I looked at mine, and I was like, oh, no. I blew it. <laughs> I blew it. <laughs> I should have played on the football team, you dummy. God, come on. <laughs> and what's, what's really sad to me is I, I've been a bookworm my whole life. And really book smart, you know. And, and in seventh grade, they, they gave me. In fourth grade, I was identified as gifted and talented. In the third grade, I got SWATs for doing long division in my head and not showing my work. I refused I to show so my much. work. Like, I, don't, I don't even want to get into the subject of math education because it's so frustrating to me. Yeah. And I, they would take me out in the, in the hall because I wouldn't show the work. And I would just give them the answer, and they'd say, you're cheating. And then they'd hit me with a damn paddle, sometimes like, once, sometimes twice. I'm in the third grade. Yeah, How am uh, I cheating? Dude, like, just because you, you can't do in front this. Of me. Yeah. yeah, like, like is somebody maybe, like, sending smoke signals from outside? Like, here's the answer. Oh, I'm like, looking on her paper. Maybe. She doesn't know the answer yet. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I got I'm the answer. I write it down, and then I cover it up because uh, everybody's trying to cheat off me. If, right. If you put me in a desk up there next to you and you give me the, the question, I will answer it immediately. Boom. Blah, blah, blah. There's the answer. Well, how'd you come to the answer? I know the question. This is math. It's simple. But in the fourth grade, well, I was identified. As, yeah, it's it's simple to a 13-year-old or a 12-year-old or, you know, a 7-year-old. But... You know, once you get to be 12 and 15 and 16, the hormones start to kick in and the computer shuts off. It's like, hey, look at that girl. She's wearing a skirt. <laughs> she sees you looking at her legs. So she uncrosses and does that whole thing. <laughs> That's, oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that basic instinct moment. It's like, ah, my brain won't stop doing that thing. And, and and you probably remember these, the emergency boners that you can't stop. Oh, my God. Holy crap. Why do I have this right now? Come on. Because the girl next to you is wearing that skirt, and she just blew your mind by showing you her red and white striped panties on purpose. Yeah. It's like... Like, yeah, the, the emergency boner, <laughs> as you described it, that, you know, as as a teenager, that meant something completely different to me than it probably did for you, because I hated every second of puberty. Mm -hmm. Like, like, I, oh, my God, it was the worst time in my life. Absolute worst time in my life. And I, you know, it's probably also worth another episode <laughs> into those details. But yeah, no, I, I know what you're talking about. And nine one one, hey, like, you've got an erection. Yeah, no, like, not now. I'm trying to do math. Yeah, shut up, you. I'm trying to do math. <laughs> Will you leave me alone? Oh, oh no. Wait. Oh no, I'm gonna be here. Once I had a oh, four hour. God. I'm in Botech. I had boner for four hours nowadays oh. that would be such a blessing i'm almost 50 <laughs> you know oh my god okay that would be the super blessing you know I was like, hey babe guess what i took my viagra <laughs> today and you're in trouble oh i can handle it don't worry i know you're gonna you're gonna gas out long before that thing does 
Oh, <laughs> it's my like, goodness. You know, an MMA fight where you're the, lo- the guy who didn't run enough. Right. Oh, no. Oh. It, <laughs> so, why did I take digress. that stupid pill? <laughs> but, you oh, know, so in, in the fourth grade, I got identified as gifted and talented, which gave me this mm-hmm. big head about how great I was at, you know, everything. And so it took a long time for me to come to grips with the fact that you're not gifted and talented. You're not even brainy. And then when I was 12, in the sixth grade, I there was this hill that I used to ride down on my bicycle. It was impossible to get to ride up it for like five or six years on a bicycle. And, you know, I probably weigh about 120 pounds at 12 years old, which I didn't know was big. I didn't know it was uh-huh. heavy because, <laughs> you know, I grew up with a six foot two dad and he fills the door every time he walks through it. So that's my idea of what a big man is. And he's got brothers and they're all about that big. And, you know, so these guys are, you know, just big Vikings. And I'm not that big. I'm not that big. You know, I've got like eight or nine inches between me and the door frame if I lean you know, against one side. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. I've never really looked at it. I'm starting to sound like Donald Trump now. I don't know. I don't know. But check it out. No. It's, it's going to be tremendous. Yeah, it's going to be tremendous. You are going to see the best and the brightest come through this. Yeah, whatever. Shut up. Yeah. So. Uh, um, uh, yeah, you know, and uh, the, the kid that can you know, tackle the football uh, holder with another kid over his shoulder has decided that he's going to take his bicycle and he's getting pretty good at it and ride without any hands on his handlebars. So I'm, I got my hands up, you know, woo and I rode down this hill. And it, it goes down for about 50 feet, you know, at about a 25-degree angle. And then it levels off for a little bit and then it does the same thing again. And... You know, and then it goes on for another quarter of a mile before you hit the the main road. This is a dirt road. There are ruts in it and things like that. You know, uh-huh. bigger rocks and smaller rocks. And I rode down this hill with my hands out like Christ on a cross all the way down to our bridge, which is about halfway from the end of the, the, the hill actual to the uh, main road. And I was like, that was cool. So I pushed my bike back to the top. And then I got my running start at the top of the hill, which is, you know, kind of a flat plateau. And and I took my hands off the the handlebars. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember anything that happened after I took my hands off the handlebars until I woke up in the bathtub. I'm naked. And my dad is giving me a bath. And I was like, what? And then I blacked out again. The next morning, I wake up and my head hurts more than it ever has or ever will. And I'm throwing up in every corner. 
And my mom finally convinces my dad, you need to take him to the hospital and see what the hell's wrong with him. So I got there, and they took an x-ray of my head and said, yep, he's got a concussion. He'll need to stay home for the next several we- several days and, uh, you know, try and recover a little bit. So that's what I did. I had a major headache for five days. I stayed in bed and rested and didn't do anything. Got back to the sixth grade, and suddenly the math was not as easy to do as it was. Now I understand what helicopter parents are about. <laughs> right. Yeah, we don't want our genius son to, to roll down the hill and break his brain. Yeah, well, it, it's, you know, you might not... <laughs> I don't know anybody that hasn't experienced anything like that. It, it, it's it's an interesting looking back. It's an interesting experience because there was there was a time in seventh grade, and and in seventh grade, like I I was the nerd that uh, built a hydroelectrolysis plant in in his parents' basement. Wow! Right? <laughs> Bravo! Hydroelectrolysis, nice. It, it turns out it's actually incredibly easy to do that. Just apply some current to some water. Um, right. Yeah. But it sounds a lot cooler than it actually is. I'll admit. So I still kind of cling on to like, yeah, I did this cool thing. But when you really look into it, it's, it's like, okay, so you, you put some, some copper in, in some water and it off gassed. But in any case, <laughs> I, uh, I was walking to, so the cafeteria in this, this old school, First of all, everything in this old school is just made out of like cinder blocks and reinforced concrete. It was really more of a prison than a school in feel, right? And I slipped going down this flight of stairs and right onto the concrete landing, my Ooh. forehead just smack and Ooh. I blacked out. Next thing I know, I'm, I'm like coming to in the principal's office, like laying on the ground with a cold compress on my head and... Uh, a friend of my mother's like looking over like like waiting for me to wake up and i'm like what happened did anybody get the name of that train <laughs> like, <laughs> that airplane or whatever um yes i know license airplanes don't have license plates they have tail numbers <laughs> um, but, yeah like and and you know it i don't know how much of an impact that but i don't know how much of an impact that had on anything for me but it, it's Definitely did. Definitely did. Because I wasn't quite, like, so into doing things afterwards. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, the, the, yeah. a concussion can cause aggression. Mm-hmm. Like, studies have shown that serial killers, a lot of them have hit their head whenever they were a child. So, you know, y'all are lucky because uh, I'm not a serial killer. unless you count cheerios and i will murder some cheerios oh my god but uh yeah that was lame i get it no cheerios (laughs) yeah but the serial killer (laughs) joke about cheerios that's some some insane clown posse stupid stuff oh my goodness the how do magnets work guys (laughs) oh man talk about digressing (laughs) yeah you know (laughs) went from concussions to insane clown posse in about the span of five seconds i love it (laughs) ladies and gentlemen this is our magnetic uh head injury uh episode right yeah no it's uh yeah (laughs) apologize for all the disfluencies there 
Um, to all of our listeners, we apologize for the shit show you're about to hear. <laughs> <laughs> and this comes at the end of the podcast episode. So. <laughs> <laughs> Hence, shit show. Yeah, and, and w- yeah. this will be fun to do it again and again and again. And it doesn't matter if we ever make any money. This is just a fun conversation for you to listen to. Yeah, exactly. We're not we're not doing this to well get famous or make a lot of money. It's we all ha- as people have interesting experiences. We may think that they're pretty mundane, right? But when you really sit down and think about them and look back, they're interesting. And they are for lack of a, for lack of a better word, you. right? You yeah, are and, the, the the sum of all your parts and everything that ever happened to you is why you're you and then you know in future episodes i will talk about you know how i believe in god and how sonnet does not and that's Mm -hmm. fine we are good with that we have come to that conclusion that doesn't matter i do have some questions (laughs) for you on that topic um at this point probably best for episode two because it's one of those things that as an atheist i don't I don't understand. Mm-hmm. And I'll just say like, I don't understand faith. I, I, it does not compute for me. And I would love to get into that because I, I, I want to understand not for the purpose of believing myself, but just, just to learn something, to understand what drives some people, right? You know, it's, it's curiosity more than anything. That being said, um, Oh, yeah. Wow. We got a lot of editing to do. Yeah, and, and we wonder how you found this podcast to listen to in the first place. And thank you for listening. And uh, we will come back with more digressions with Sana and Arson next week. Thanks you a bet. lot. Bye.